Grace and peace be with you from God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. In 2013, with over 6,000 members and 12,000 people that would come on an average Sunday, one of the second largest mega churches in the United States was known as Mars Hill led by the lead pastor, a man by the name of Mark Driscoll. Now, for those that were around in 2013 and were paying attention, you knew that if you wanted to do anything with young adult ministry, he was the man to watch. He was the man to look at. And he wasn't shy about it either. Starting a mission network of outreach called Acts 29, which I don't know if you've ever heard of Acts 29, but you have seen probably the results of Acts 29, for you see one of the mission plants was titled City Church, and I believe we have one in Pekin. Now eventually Acts 29 would part ways with Driscoll, but Driscoll became one of the founding members there in Seattle, Washington. He wrote books. He went on tours. He was the epitome of what could be. By 2015, the church had dissolved. Almost nobody goes there. Oh, I think the building still exists, and I think there is a small church that still attends, but nothing like what it used to be. Turns out, Driscoll had been plagiarizing large quantities of material from other people. He had been, well, he had been bullying behind the scenes, causing people to, cause, to, to sign non-disclosure agreements before they walked out the door, even harassing some of his employees, going online and doing bullying tactics to some of his own members to get him in line. It became all about his way or the highway, you might even say he was legalistic to a degree, but legalistic in that it was all about him. When you turned around and looked at the fruits of what came out of Mars Hill, you saw malice, anger, hate, deceit, not exactly what we would call good fruits. So powerful is the story that it became uh, the topic of a well-known podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, for good reason. Going from number two to number doesn't exist is a pretty big story. Jesus, in our text today, tells us to look at the fruits. Look at the fruits that the false prophets or the prophets bring. You see, that's the word prophet. It, it, means, it means to be the mouthpiece. That's what it means to be a prophet, is to be the mouthpiece. In this case, the mouthpiece of God. And so you look at a prophet by what they say, by what they speak, by what they're bringing to the table. And you look at the fruits. In the case of Mars Hill, there was a lot of fruits that it brought. A lot of people that are still burned, that are still damaged from the fallout of what happened at Mars Hill. They still talk about it. Some of them have decided to never go to church again. Some of them go, but 
on a different level. We see the fruits. And so we know that those aren't the fruits we're looking for. Those aren't the fruits that we're, we're after. And so those must be bad fruits. In 1982, a group of churches decided that they wanted to kind of get together. Why have all these separate entities when you could have one large entity? And so that's what they did. Now, you know how things go. Sometimes it's easier said than done. And so they decided this in 1982. It took them six whole years before they were actually active. 1988, January 1st of 1988. And what emerged out of this combination of churches became, well, what is today anyway in the United States, the largest Lutheran church body that we have, the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. Now, in order to make all the churches happy, they did something that is fairly common for churches that tend to combine like this. They created an elastic theology. That is, a theology that's stretchy. You can do what you want over here, and this person can do what they want over here, and there's a big umbrella that fits both of them. So it's not uncommon to go to an ELCA church that might even be more conservative than an LCMS church. And then go right down the road to another ELCA church that is about the most liberal church you've ever seen in your life. That has some of the craziest things that you've ever heard of. And you go, how can these two churches be a part of the same group? That's that elastic theology that we've talked about. But one of the unique things about the ELCA is if you actually start reading their theologians. Reading what their theologians say what they're all about, you will not find anger. You won't find malice. You won't find a form of, of legalism, so to speak. You won't find any of that. Oh, no, no, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that nobody in the ELCA church ever gets angry. That happens. But it's not a fruit of who they are. It's not a fruit of the church that it is. No, it's not that at all. However, if you start reading their theologians, what you'll find is that they have absolutely no time for the law of God. In fact, one theologian actually put it that since Jesus has died for our sins, the law of God no longer applies to us at all. In his own words, you could literally do whatever you wanted and you would be okay. Now, that might be very elastic. So you can go over to this church and be very conservative and go over to this church and be very liberal. But at the heart of it, what that theologian is saying is a sense of lawlessness. And you can see it. You can see it, especially in certain churches that come out of that particular group. You can see it. As it grows, a sense of lawlessness, a, a sense of do whatever you want and you're okay. A sense of God is love but nothing else. And God is love so therefore if you go murder somebody or go do whatever else that you want to do, it's all okay. It's all okay. That's their theologians. Now, I understand that there might be individual churches. There might be individual churches 
that, that hold on to the truth. Again, elastic theology, but when you start looking at what their theologians say that that church stands for, what it teaches, you end up getting a sense of lawlessness. So on the one hand, you have an extreme legalist. My way or the highway. And that has bad fruits. But on the other hand, you have a sense of complete lawlessness. There's no law at all. And what you get out of there is bad fruits. And so if those are both bad fruits, then we have to ask ourselves, what are good fruits? What should we look for? How should we evaluate these things? If we do a search, a quick search even, on the word fruit found throughout all of Scripture, you'll begin to see a certain message that appears. The word fruit is used over 200 times throughout all of Scripture. It's used over 60 times in the New Testament. And in those 60 times, when you start to look through it and you start to evaluate it, you begin to get a sense of one particular thing. Repentance. Good fruit is repentance. Now, I know that can be confusing sometimes. What is repentance? I know sometimes we say, well, it's sorrow over your sins. Well, wouldn't legalism, wouldn't extreme legalism cause sorrow over my sins? Is that what repentance is about? The real term actually means to turn. And I think in order for us to truly grasp repentance, having that definition in mind is important. It means to turn. To turn from your sin to God. Not to, not to a man who's all about power, not to a man who just happens to know how to, to, to do a good sermon, but not much else. Not, not anything like that. Not in an institution even. But to turn from your sin to God. In order to do that, you need the Word of God. The Holy Spirit works in the Word of God. Paul tells us in Romans 10, faith comes from hearing. And so we listen and hear the very word of God preached and proclaimed. And it brings about repentance. That we turn from our own sin. And we turn to God and to his word. And so yes, you can tell a false prophet by their fruit. Do they cause us to turn to God? Or to something else? To our own will? To our own desires? Are to the will of, of one singular person outside of God's word and God's will? Or does it cause us to turn to him? And whenever we find ourselves repentant of our sins, when we reflect upon the very word of God, and we find that we have sinned, that we have fallen short, we get the other part that is found in Holy Scripture. We get the gospel we get the reminder that while we have fallen short and while we on our walk of faith have sinned, we have forgiveness. We have forgiveness through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We don't have forgiveness because of some great preacher. We don't have forgiveness because we've simply ignored the law or forgotten it. 
We have forgiveness for the very blood of Jesus and what he has done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of Christ, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.